Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part six and the conclusion of his teaching, Healing is Yours. All right, praise the Lord. We're going to finish our series this morning on Healing is Yours, and this will be part six that we're calling Hindrances to Receiving Healing. And these hindrances to receiving healing are going to be grouped into four main categories. Number one, wrong thinking. This is where we'll spend a good deal of our time. Number two, wrong speaking. Number three, problems in the heart. And number four, something I call the momentum of unbelief. Now, this is by no means a complete list, but it's a good starting point as we take a look at some of the common hindrances that people experience when trying to receive healing from the Lord. So right off the bat, I want to talk about wrong thinking. And the first thing I want to talk about is Anytime you get into a discussion with a person that is not for divine healing, believes for whatever reason that healing sometimes is God's will and sometimes it's not, and you tell them that your Bible tells you that God wants all people well all the time, that's his nature, and they will always come back invariably with this statement, yeah, but what about Paul's thorn in the flesh, as if that just wipes out the bulk of all the scriptures throughout the Old and the New Testament that say God wants you well. Amen. So we're going to talk about that for a while. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul describes an encounter that he had with the living God. He says, I knew a man 14 years ago, whether in the body or in the spirit, I don't know, but I was caught up to the third heaven and I heard some things and I saw some things and some of the things I heard and saw, I can't even talk about. He was given great revelation as you read through the book of Acts and read through his epistles. He was given great revelations about the mystery of the church that none of the prophets knew anything about. He was also big on Christ in you, the hope of glory. And these two pillars of revelation that Paul carried with him everywhere he went influenced everything that came out of him in terms of teaching and preaching. Amen. And so that's the background to where we're diving into 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 9. This is Paul talking about his experiences. And it says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, those revelations he was receiving from heaven, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure." Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, there's a lot in this passage, but here's a couple of things I want you to see so we can answer the question. What about Paul's thorn in the flesh? First of all, it does not say that Paul asked the Lord three times to remove this messenger from him and God refused. It does not say that. 
What it does say is that no matter what this messenger sent his way, God's grace was going to be more than enough to see him through to victory when it was all said and done. Amen? Secondly, it does not say that God sent Paul a thorn in the flesh, which manifested as some kind of persistent disease to humble him or whatever. It just does not say that. It does say quite clearly that a messenger or an angel of Satan had been assigned to Paul. The word there translated messenger everywhere else in the New Testament is translated angelos. It's talking about angelic beings. So this was an angel of Satan that was dispatched by Satan to Paul to cause him trouble. Why? Because he was receiving way too much revelation that was coming forth through his preaching and teaching, and the devil was feeling the heat. So he assigned an evil spirit to buffet Paul. That word there, buffet, it means to deliver repeated blows. Kind of like on a punching bag, you know, you know, just unceasing blows. And this evil spirit's job was to influence men to resist and stir up trouble for Paul and his company everywhere they went preaching the gospel. And all you have to do to verify this is just read through the book of Acts. You know, Paul and his company would go to a certain city. They would preach the gospel. People would get saved. And then the Jews would get stirred up or the Gentiles would get stirred up or both of them would get stirred up and they'd run them out of town. Then they go to the next town and the cycle would repeat itself. They would preach and teach the gospel. People would get saved. People would get stirred up and run them out of town. In one case, they got so stirred up, they even stoned Paul and left him for dead. But God raised him up and he kept on preaching. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So consider this. Dive just a little bit deeper here. If you go into the Old Testament, you can find places where people groups that stirred up trouble against the Israelites were referred to as thorns in their side and thorns in their eyes. It's called a simile. So it's easy to see that this thorn in the flesh was used to stir up people groups against Paul and against the gospel he was preaching. Amen. So if you're honest, you really can't use this passage to mangle or interpret its meaning in any way to teach that God heals sometimes and sometimes he does not. It's just not in there if you take a good look at the scripture and study it out as thoroughly as I have. Amen. Hallelujah. Not bragging, but I spent 30 years studying this verse, and I'm telling you, it doesn't say what people think it says. All right, so number two. These, keep in mind, these are things that people think or say that become hindrances to them receiving healing from God. Number two, healing passed away with the death of the last apostle. It just doesn't happen anymore. Well, I assume he's talking about the 12, the apostles of Jesus Christ. And if you remember in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent them out two by two, and they went preaching and teaching and healing just like Jesus taught them to. Amen? And so... If you believe this statement that healing and miracles died out with the last apostle, after they all died out, 
Healing and miracles died out with them. But what about the 70? In Luke chapter 10, the Bible says Jesus sent out more. He sent two by two, 70 individuals with the same mandate. Preach, teach, and heal. What about them? Are we supposed to wait until all of them die out for healing and miracles to die out too? You see, you dig into it and the logic becomes ridiculous. It's just a ridiculous notion. All these things are is people trying to come up with excuses why healing and miracles don't happen in their church. Bottom line. Bottom line. So let's read that in the Word. Mark 16, 20, King James Version. This is at the end of the Great Commission, which we talked about in the series. Jesus already told them to go out, lay hands on the sick, and whoever they laid hands on, they should recover. They will recover. They shall recover. All imperatives. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. So listen, when you go out there and preach or teach the gospel or share the gospel with somebody, realize the Lord is there with you, working with you, ready to confirm with signs the word that you preach. Amen. Matthew 28, 20 is Matthew's version of the Great Commission, New King James. The very last verse in that passage says uh, that you should go forth teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Remember, he commanded them to preach and teach and heal. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Matthew says, Amen. Now, if you read the King James, the end of the age there is translated the end of the world. But it's actually the Greek word eon. It means a season or a passage of time. Amen. So I'm telling you that there's going to be healing as long as the season of the church age is still in effect. The church age began where the Holy Ghost was poured out and it will end when we're pulled out. Amen. Amen. When we're taken out in the rapture, that will be the official end of the church age. But as long as the church age is here, the Lord is going to be with us, working with us, confirming the word that we preach with signs following. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right. Number three, healing passed away with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Now, come on. What does that have to do with anything other than fulfilled scripture? You know, in 70 A.D., the Roman general Titus, he sacked and destroyed Jerusalem and Herod's temple at this time. And after that, the Jews and the Christians were scattered all over the known world. Okay, so it is significant. It just doesn't have any bearing on whether signs and wonders and miracles passed away. While it is a fulfillment of prophecy, Matthew 24, 2, Jesus said, The enemy's coming. He's going to surround your city. He's going to mount a siege, and when they're done, there will not be left one stone upon another. And that prophecy was fulfilled 40 years later after Jesus was crucified. And literally, except for the fortress of Antonio, which was the Roman garrison in Jerusalem, every other building and every other wall was torn down flat to the ground. In fact, one of the writers of that time said, Jerusalem looked like a barren hill that had been plowed over by an enemy. There was nothing left. It was a fulfillment of prophecy, but there's nothing in this scripture or any other scripture to support the belief that miracles and healings 
passed away just because Jerusalem suffered an awful demise. Amen. Number four. Healing passed away gradually as the New Testament was completed. Raise your hand if you've heard that. They usually use 1 Corinthians 13 to support this belief. So let's read 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. And we'll just sort of unpack this. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Now there's a lot in here, so I'm going to help you unpack it. The phrase, that which is perfect, is interpreted by the people uh, that believe that healing passed away gradually as the New Testament came into existence. They glom onto that which is perfect, and they say that that is referring to the completed Word of God. And they say that when the Word of God was completed, then gifts of the Spirit, healing, and miracles were no longer necessary. But if you read the whole passage in context, that logic breaks down pretty quickly. Listen, a lot of people don't think God is logical. I'm telling you, He's eminently logical. Now, there comes a time in our lives when we, as the people of God, we need to go beyond logic and take a leap of faith. But by and large, God is very logical. The things He does make sense. So if you read the whole passage in context, their logic breaks down pretty quickly. It is actually saying this, that when I stand complete and perfect in Him, that is in Jesus, in my glorified body, I will see Him, that is Jesus, face to face. And gifts of the Spirit will no longer be necessary in order for me to see through that dimly lit mirror because I will stand before Him face to face because I will see Him then as clearly as he sees me now. Do you see that? That's revelation. All right. Hopefully we're dismantling these hindrances to receiving healing. Number five, modern day healing is of the devil. You know, there are people who say it passed away, but there's another crowd that takes it a step further and says, it's of the devil. I'm like... Well, you better be careful what you say. You know, there is no scriptural basis to believe that healing in the name of Jesus, glorifying God, is of the devil. I remember when I prayed for Andy Edlin. You've heard me share this testimony many times. And God grew him a brand new right shoulder blade underneath my hand. There was a creative miracle that my wife and many of the people in the class I was teaching witnessed. And they got filled with the Holy Spirit. Andy and his wife, Mary, they got filled with the Holy Spirit. They became pillars of the church and lived righteously for the rest of their lives because of that one creative miracle. You telling me that was of the devil? When they got to heaven, they said, hey, this is Andy and Mary. We're here because of the devil. 
It doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. It is, it is um, laugh out loud funny if it weren't so sad. Amen. Let me show you how Jesus thinks about that kind of thinking. Mark chapter 3, verse 22 to 30. Mark 3, 22 to 30. Jesus is talking with the scribes. He says here in verse 22, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub. That is a word that means the Lord of the flies. It's another name for the devil. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub. And by the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? Again, Jesus, he's employing logic. (laughs) So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation, because they said he has an unclean spirit. Because they said the things he was doing, he was doing them by the power of the devil. Now, I'm not here to tell you that people that are born again, that have this belief that modern day healing is deceptive and of the devil, are going to go to hell and not make it into heaven. But I certainly think you would agree with me that they're on pretty thin ice when it comes to this sort of logic and this sort of believing. Again, I say it's It's simply excuses that men and women come up with uh, as to why this sort of thing doesn't happen in their church. The reason it doesn't happen in their church is because they don't believe the Word of God and they don't stand on the Word of God and they don't believe and they don't receive. Amen? Oh, I hope I'm not too harsh here this morning. Anytime you attribute the works of God to the works of the devil, you're on dangerous ground. And, and I believe what's being said here, now this is, this is still under the, the law here, okay? But if we extend this into the new covenant where you're born again, you're, you're going to heaven. I mean, you're a child of God. But if you begin down this road and say things like that, attributing the works of God to the works of the devil, you're well on your way to hardening your heart to the point that God just can't get through. You can't receive revelation from him. Amen. Now, for the Pharisees, he was saying, listen, you keep this up and you're going to get so hard hearted. You will not have the capacity to believe that I am the son of God, that I am your Messiah. And that will be bad for you. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And so Matthew 25 kind of caps this off. Jesus said this. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? So what that's saying is, 
When you begin to walk and talk and act like Jesus, miracles and healings will follow you. But rumors will too. If they said Jesus was of the devil, believe me, they're going to say you were of the devil. They're going to say it. Let them say it. I got the power of God in me. I got the name of Jesus in me. I got the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I got the power to bind and loose. Jesus has given me all authority in heaven and earth. Amen. And I use it wisely. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. And I don't use the power of the devil. I use the power of almighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number six, God heals sometimes and sometimes he doesn't. It's just not always his will. James 5, 14 and 15. Now, there's a number of ways that I could attack this, but this is kind of a different way to attack it. Now, James is talking about, you know, when someone is sick, you need to uh, bring them before the elders or the mature saints, anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith. Okay. I'm going to use this passage to show you logically why it cannot be true that God heals sometimes and sometimes he does not. It's not always his will to heal. So stay with me. Let's go through this and and let's uh, unpack it. James 5, 14 and 15, New King James. Is anyone sick among you? It's kind of like there shouldn't be too many. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Notice that James tells the sick to call for the elders and have them pray the prayer of faith. I want you to concentrate on the prayer of faith. But you have to know the will of God before you can pray the prayer of faith about anything. It always starts with a promise. You can't have faith if you don't have a promise from God to have faith in. Do you hear me? And there's a a well-known teaching nugget that I need to share with you this morning that will help settle this matter. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. you got to know the will of God before you can pray and believe for something. If the will of God were not known concerning the sick, the elders could not pray the prayer of faith. But they did pray the prayer of faith. And James said, when they did, all that they prayed for received their healing. The Lord raised them up. Therefore, it is always the will of God to heal anyone who is sick. First, in the household of God, but also in the world. Because it's a way to demonstrate his love to the world so that they can come to Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Number seven. We're going to get through these. God puts or allows sickness on people so he can receive glory and they can learn more about him through their suffering. That's a good one, isn't it? There's no scripture that you can point to that clearly states this belief, but think about the logic of this statement. We don't even have to go to scripture. If God is really getting glory out of your suffering from some dreaded disease, why go to the doctor and try to get that glory off of you? I mean, don't rob God of his glory. Let it have its full effect, as Andrew Womack says. 
You let it hammer you. If it's giving glory to God, yes, destroy my body. Glory to God. You see, you just have to employ a little bit of logic to realize that most of this thinking is just, as the British would say, rubbish. Balderdash, poppycock. So you may not have an answer as to why you, you, your, your healing hasn't manifested. But I'm telling you one thing. It's not to bring glory to God. So just put that in the circular bin. Circular, what do they call it? Circular drawer. Put it in the trash bin, the rubbish bin. All right, number eight. God heals others, but he won't heal me. There must be a reason. I find that this one is common among full gospel believers, people that have been taught about healing, people that know the word. Listen, even if we're strong on healing, it's easy to slip into a works mentality and conjure up various reasons why we haven't received our manifestation. You know, I haven't prayed enough. I haven't read my Bible enough. I've been hollering at my wife lately, been unkind to her, and my, my love walk is not what it should be. I've got so much that I need to improve on. And you start qualifying. You, you start putting these qualifiers out there that God would heal you if it weren't for certain behavior on your part. Listen, that is completely wrong thinking. It's not about what you have done or what you have accomplished. It's what Jesus did and what he accomplished. So if you've done those things and you haven't prayed the way you should and you haven't read the way you should and you haven't walked in love the way you should and you haven't done things the way you should, just repent of all of it. Say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I repent of my sin. Now, would you touch my body? Would you manifest my healing? I believe your word. I know you want me well. I know you want me forgiven and healed. Amen? Don't do that to yourself. Don't put out qualifiers that stop God from bringing manifestation into your life. Amen? And listen, if there is some deep, dark, secret thing that you're doing that you're unaware of and that... uh, You just don't know that you're doing wrong and it's blocking God's healing. Do you not think God is able to get that over to you? I mean, he can tell you what's going on, so don't worry about it. If you're doing something that wrong, he's probably already told you about it a number of times. Amen. Amen. Number nine, people you know who are in faith, they believe God. But they weren't healed, and some of them even died. That's one we deal with a lot. We just found out about a lady that Trisha and I prayed for about a week ago, and she didn't make it. She didn't make it. I don't have the answer. I know it was God's will for her to be healed, but for some reason, she didn't make it. You know, sometimes there seems to be no reason why a particular person was not healed. They were in faith. At least they, they demonstrated faith to you. They were standing on the word. They were believing God. From all outward appearance, you thought, man, they're going to make it. And they don't make it, you know. But it's important to keep in mind in these cases that it wasn't God. God was not responsible for their death. He wanted to heal them. He wanted to touch them. He wanted to deliver them. Amen? So we can't base our beliefs solely on our experience. 
or what's happened to somebody we know or even what's happened to us. We have to base our beliefs on the word of God alone. I like the way that Bill Johnson says it. He says, if you put your you put uh, God's word up here and you put your experience down here below it, below it, he says, what most people try to do is bring the word down to the level of their experience when they should be bringing their experience up to the level of the word. Amen. That's good revelation right there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If the word of God teaches it is his will to heal all, then it is his will to heal all. If there's a problem receiving from God, I promise you, it's on this end, not on his. Amen. All right. So that was all wrong thinking. So the rest of it's going to go pretty quick because would you agree with me? Most of the battle is in the mind. Number two, let's talk about wrong speaking. We'll pick up the pace a little bit here. Your confession lines up with the symptoms and not with the Word of God. Oh, my back is hurting so bad. I can't stand up straight. Oh, Lord. Instead of saying, you know, my back is healed. Pain is gone. I stand upright. My spine is adjusted. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I may be experiencing pain and symptoms, but I'm saying in the name of Jesus, I am healed. Proverbs 18, 19 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that eat it shall eat the fruit thereof, whether good or bad. So speak good things over your body. Avoid the temptation to tell people about all your aches and pains. I mean, you know, if you want to, and I don't mean that you can get into word prison where, you know, the word Nazis are going to come after you. I'm not talking about that. I mean, you got to be able to share things with people. But, you know, at least learn to say things like, you know, honey, you know, I share this a lot with my wife. You know, I've been experiencing some pain in this area, you know, but I believe I'm healed in Jesus' name. You know, I'm feeling pain, but I'm standing against it in Jesus' name. There's a way to do it without just saying, just throwing up your hands and saying, I can't get anywhere. I can't ever get healed. I'm always struggling with this. Man, I tell you what, you pray one good prayer to the Lord and you can unravel it by saying things like that. So be careful what you say. Proverbs 4, 20 to 24. This is all about the Word of God. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Listen. 24 goes with the rest of these verses. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. If you go to the next slide, we've got the Amplified on there. The Amplified says, Put away from you false and dishonest speech and willful and contrary talk put far from you. Get out of the habit of saying things that are contrary to what the Word says. Say what he says, agree with God, and nothing else. No matter what the circumstances, it's a discipline. It's a daily discipline that we all have to apply to our lives. We've all missed it. We've all flubbed up. We have all lost it and told God, you know, what we thought about his healing. I have. Then I repented, and I started talking what God says again. Amen. 
All right. Number three in our major categories is problems in the heart. First one is having an unforgiving heart. Nothing will block the healing power of God more quickly than an unforgiving heart. God can't get through unforgiveness and bitterness that you refuse to release. If Jesus forgave you your sins, he expects you to forgive the sins of others. Those who have hurt you or taken advantage of you. Failure to release unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart will definitely, as I said, block the power of God from operating in your life. And if you're sick, it will definitely hinder your healing if you fail to forgive those who have sinned against you. And if you weren't sick before, if you continue to hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness, it will produce sickness and disease in your body. Especially arthritis. People who do not forgive have been known to just curl up with arthritis, crippling arthritis because they refuse to let go of a grudge, in some cases 20, 30, 40 years old. That's just unhealthy for your body. Don't do it. Release it. Stay in a forgiving attitude. Stay uh, to the point where you, you get up in the morning and if you've got anything against anybody, you release it. I released so-and-so. They said some hateful words to me the other day. I release them. I forgive them. Lord, send people across their paths so that they can know Jesus, share the gospel with them. Lord, I release them. They were horrible to me, but I release them anyway. I want nothing standing between you and me, Lord. Nothing. Nothing. Amen. The number two thing under the problems in the heart category is living in sin while professing healing over your body. While it is true that you can receive forgiveness of sins at the same time you receive your healing, James 5.14, knowingly living in sin while confessing healing over your body will not work because you place yourself out of fellowship with God. 1 John 1, 6 through 10, New King James Version. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, that means that if you're actively in sin and you're denying it, you're, you're not really being truthful to yourself, go ahead and repent and admit, I've been, I've been in sin, Lord. I need to release this to you. Forgive me. Wash me clean. I confess my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Amen. Let there be nothing between us, Lord. Nothing between us. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. The last one, last category is the momentum of unbelief. Now, I go back into my professor mode there, and I want to tell you a little bit about momentum. <laughs> Amen. Momentum is uh, usually the variable P is assigned to momentum, and then little m is mass, and uh, V is velocity. So P equal M times V, or momentum is equal to mass times velocity. Amen? So you're going to see how this relates. <laughs> If you go to a top of a mountain 
and it's a snow-covered mountain, snow and ice, and you see a little snowball on the top of the mountain, and you go over and you give that little snowball a nudge, and it starts rolling down that hill. You know, it's going to start picking up mass, more ice and more snow, and it's going to start picking up more velocity as it rolls down the hill, is it not? But if you run down the hill and say, you know, 20 feet down, you stick your foot out, you can stop that little snowball from going any further, gaining any more mass or any more velocity. But if you're standing on top of a 5,000-foot mountain and the snowball has a clear path to the valley, that thing could become a killer boulder by the time it gets down 5,000 feet down the mountain. Amen. That's a picture of momentum. All right, so how do we apply that to this receiving healing or hindrances to receiving healing? Well, you know, sometimes people have been taught their entire life wrong about healing, wrong about the will of God concerning healing. And they've got 30 or 40 years of unbelief jammed into their souls and into their heart And it's very difficult for you as a believer that believes in healing to get enough faith in them. Say they're in a terminal situation. They've got weeks or months to live. You know, the momentum of unbelief is so great. That that, that boulder is so great and moving at such velocity, it's going to be difficult to pump enough faith into these people before they go to be with Jesus. But I'm not saying give up. I'm saying first thing, if you encounter terminal cases, the first thing you need to find out is, do you know Jesus? Are you ready to meet him? Make sure that they are first and foremost. And then if you've got time to spend with them, uh, pump as much word and faith into them as you can and see what God will do. I've heard of cases where they did turn around. They did see it. They did get the revelation. And they stood on the word. And they were delivered and they were healed. But it's not always the case. It's not always the case. Amen? I call that the momentum of unbelief. All right, so let me wrap it up by saying this. Knowledge of God's Word, confessing it, meditating upon it, listening to the Holy Spirit, and keeping your heart clear of sin and unforgiveness will all enable you to counter the hindrances to receiving healing that we've talked about this morning. Amen? So I've really enjoyed teaching this series on healing is yours. And I know it's a lot of information, but I wanted to lay it down so people could go to our podcast and use the series to help them receive their healing from the Lord. So if you have a chance and you you haven't listened to all six of these episodes, go to the podcast. There is a feature on the podcast where you can download your own personal copy of the episode. And if you're having trouble with healing, sickness, and disease, or know somebody that is, recommend the podcast and recommend that they download episode one through six and just feast on it and receive from the Lord. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed the conclusion of Dr. Forrest's message, Healing is Yours. If you are in the Wilmington area, and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for Coffee and Fellowship and 10.30 for Worship and Service. If you would like to learn more about us, 
and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at GoFaithLife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.